0: Rodeo
1: Rodeo Labs Podcast is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Welcome to the Rodeo Adventure Labs Podcast. Lo-fi edition, <laughs> Lo-fi edition. We're, we're going really, really down the technology rabbit hole. Um, so we, we started high tech and, and here we are just trying to make it work, trying to reach the listeners. We've been
2: offline since we spoke to Scotty. We had great intentions to, to uh, up our intervals, but we just didn't do it because it was it's honestly really complicated. We have a lot of really fancy gear that we don't know how to run. Uh, but Daniel, who you will introduce here in a second. We just couldn't miss the window uh, to talk to him. So we threw away all of the technology. Well, we just don't have any uh, plugged in and we're just recording a Skype call. So if this podcast is echoey and lo-fi, deal with it. Uh, the story is super worth it. <laughs> <laughs> there,
1: there you have it. Okay, so yeah, as, as Steven alluded to, we're gonna talk to uh, Daniel Connell today. Uh, and he is just coming off of the Tour Divide. This is this was his third attempt, and, and he completed it in, in three years, right? Is that right, Daniel?
0: That's correct. Yeah, the first year I did it uh, was a Tour. And then uh, last year, 2021, and this year, 2022, I raced it and completed all three. All right. Wow, fantastic.
2: I don't actually know. Okay, so if you raced the previous edition, how did that go?
0: It was awesome. Uh, last year's race was quite different. It was actually called the Great Divide Classic uh, because the Canada section was still closed off due to COVID, um, and some of the routes uh, that we took in the U.S. portion um, were a bit more true to the original uh, race that I guess um, was just slightly different. and And the race went really well. I mean, it was for sure the hardest thing I would ever done, and and my first race of any kind that I had ever done as well. and Uh, I just had an absolute blast and learned a ton as well. (laughs) So having done this now
1: three times, like, like what, what drew you to the tour divide, you know, to, to keep going back year after year, you know, like, was it like trying to seek a new challenge? Like, or was it, I mean, I imagine maybe from last year to this year, it was maybe wanting to do the full route with the border open.
0: It is. And I think that for me, that route, it's just the it's the perfect place to test yourself because it it just incorporates so much. It's, you know, obviously it involves your ability to ride a bike, uh, you know, up, up some challenging terrain and, and for a long time. Um, but there's more to it. I mean, it's such a mental challenge. It's dealing with weather. I mean, there's just so many things that come to come into it. Um, and it's just addicting and, you know, I, I toured it the one year and, as I was touring it, I was kind of doing bigger and bigger days and enjoying that kind of physical challenge of it. And I decided, oh man, like I I have to come back and try racing this thing. And then I did that last year and man, it went so much better than I could have ever imagined it to go. And right when I finished last year, I decided I was going to just go all in, um, to see what I can do this year. And having done this year, all I'm thinking about is next year. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's this crazy thing like this year was obviously just tremendously challenging in so many ways and on my last day you know riding to the border all that was really running through my head was you know what can i do differently to come back next year and i i really have ambition to to perform well on that route i mean it's just it's such a it's a it's a wonderful place to to test yourself
2: before we go too far into that um like the next one and this one, I feel like we should just background. Uh, let's just pretend we don't know who you are, where you're from. Sure. Bikes, not just bikes, really, really sure. long <laughs> bike rides. <laughs> like, tell us <laughs> yeah. about yourself. Where are you from? Things like that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So I I grew up in Los Angeles. Uh, pretty much my entire upbringing. Up until I was, you know, 20 was just focused with soccer. I was super obsessed with soccer, all things soccer. Um, Once I was in college, I kept playing soccer, but I kind of got a little bit more introduced to outdoors activities, mostly backpacking, uh, and just kind of became obsessed with that, you know, sleeping outside. I mean, it was all really new to me. Uh, And right when I graduated college, which was at UC Santa Barbara, I was just really itching for a big adventure. And I I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I knew it wasn't going to be in an office. Um, I was, I was looking to do something outside. So I was kind of, you know, trying to draw inspiration from a few people and decided that I was just going to go on a long bike ride, kind of out of nowhere. I wasn't really much of a cyclist. And I called a buddy of mine, Quincy, uh, who's a surfer, not a cyclist. uh, And Kind of on a whim, two weeks later, we decided that we were going to start riding to South America, and it was just the greatest trip ever. I mean, we just gathered some old bikes and, you know, threw some gear on there, guitars, and just the whole, you know, kind of like a hippie rig. <laughs> and we rode for six-ish months, um, and really just learned how to ride bikes along the way, learned how to fix them, and and all that stuff, and. You know, we finished that trip, got to Colombia, and all I, you know, I knew I found kind of my my passion during that. And I came back, worked a summer as a river guide um, and just immediately once I finished that, uh, went to Egypt and Africa and rode my bike across Africa from Egypt to South Africa. That took about seven months. And I just I just was totally obsessed with the lifestyle of riding a bike, living on a bike, meeting people. Um, I was working with World Bicycle Relief during both of those rides, and, and that became a big part of it too. Was, you know, raising money to support such a wonderful organization. Um, after that trip, I rode along the Pacific Coast from Canada to Mexico. Uh, again, was just always looking for the next the next biking adventure. And um, in between, I was working as a river guide, um, doing whitewater rafting. And finally. Uh, the Tour Divide just kind of came on my radar I was probably just on bikepacking.com you know looking at routes and I saw that one and it was like ultimate mountain bike off-route challenge and i had never done anything off-road I've never done mountain biking in my life Um, and I just decided that it it would be a good time to to give it a go and I tried touring it had the absolute time of my life and yeah one thing led to another and last year I was you know at the at the start of the race and now I, I now i just see myself really doing this kind of thing uh hopefully for the rest of my life <laughs> Man, yeah
2: those are some big Those are some big like and then i rode across africa <laughs> yeah. really, <okay>.
1: yeah. <laughs> i also was yeah. thinking like oh like i'm looking for inspiration i'm gonna you know go for a ride after graduating i thought you meant like oh you're like i'm gonna go do a century not like i'm just gonna go for six <laughs> months and ride all the way to
0: another no. country you know like Yeah. And funny enough, I mean, a century was so off the radar. Like we, I don't think I ever rode a hundred miles in a single day until probably, uh, like my race last year or, or maybe, maybe on the tour the year before I had one big day in the basin with some tailwind, but yeah, I was never really like pushing it to the limits on, on that end. It was all about just being on the bike and it was really focused on the adventure more than anything. It was, you know, new countries new foods new cultures I mean that was really the inspiration for for most of those uh big trips
2: yeah there's a whole personality thing that I would in a way love to explore because because like you're doing these incredibly huge and I think difficult things and, and I'm just guessing you've had some like crazy experiences in Central America South America and Africa I'm just that maybe would make some people not want to keep doing it. It can't have all been easy. There had to be some really hard stuff. But then you're you're just like, it was awesome. So then I did it again. (laughs) Uh, And uh, that's really interesting to me because that's not everybody. uh, And I've talked to, we've talked to some other, you know, bikepacking racer types. one of, kind of the, one of our main themes on the podcast these you people are so fascinating uh, and and I just keep thinking like how do they do that I just don't I don't know if I have those ingredients but I'm in awe of the people that do uh, that was hard I'm not even to the finish and I'm thinking about doing it again next year like humans are amazing uh, and like the spectrum of personalities and things that that, that people get into are, it's pretty nuts uh, yeah. It's cool. I mean, so, I mean, you knew you wanted to come back after you did it the previous two years, and I know that you popped into my inbox in um, I don't know end of the year.
0: Yeah, it would have been around that time, December something like that, December 2021.
2: Yeah, it's yeah. funny because there's there's a lot of a lot there's a, there's a lot of people who email us and they're like, hey, I'm doing a thing. Can I get a bike? Or, you know, or the worst is I'm an influencer. Can I get a bike? And then they're like, you know, 150,000 followers. And can I just get a bike? Uh, so there's a whole lot of just no, you can't. Uh, like we don't know who you are and we, we're definitely not giving you a bike. I don't say that to them that mean, but that's what I think in my head. And and so I don't even get most of those emails. Isaac at the time who worked here, he got, you sent an email,
0: right? I sent I so email. Yeah, I yeah, did, yeah, I did. yeah. Yeah, so Isaac, the, o- the only email of that kind that I had ever sent. <laughs> That's cool. All right, well, you're batting a thousand.
2: Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he sent it over to me because most of them he just would squash, you know, like, no, uh, I don't even need to, you know, talk to anyone else here. Like, this isn't going to make it very far. He So he's pre-screening a, a lot of those. But for whatever reason, he just forwarding, forwarded that one. And I haven't gone back and read what he wrote, but I'm pretty sure it was just like, this guy actually looks pretty interesting. Um, so whatever it was you were doing or said popped through, and then I think I read it and I was like, oh, dang, it really does. This he seems this seems really cool. Uh, there's something different about uh, what you put in there uh, and your attitude. I don't know what it was, and then I snoozed it because honestly, I don't want to deal with these requests. Because <laughs> it's like I, I don't want to. We don't have any bikes. I don't know what I can get you one. I don't know I don't, I, how we can afford all this, all these complicated questions and on, the easiest thing to do is just to hit snooze, but it came back up in my inbox again. And then it was like, I, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I pushed back with you. Uh, and I think I was, and I've been circling on this philosophy of not really working with people that we don't know. Um, that just show up out of nowhere. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I would have pushed back. I don't know what you remember. Um, but you just kind of kept like kept at it with positivity and the good vibes and you completely disarmed our <laughs> security system. And by the end of it, it was like, yes, and Daniel Flannel, I can't believe I'm doing this because I don't like I don't like sending things. to. Be-. But anyway, it, I guess that's kind of a compliment. And we've done that with a few people like Logan in the past. Uh, and I mean, even Scotty, when she originally emailed, I was like, I've never met her. And uh, so, so I'm trying to take time to meet people and learn about people before we, we do anything with them because we have actually done a fair number of, of sending a bike out. And I would say three to six times we've sent gear or bike or whatever out and it just disappears into a black hole of really no relationship and, and mm. really not hearing back from people. There are definitely at least two people that have gotten rodeo bikes after a strong pitch and I've never heard from them again um so anyway um uh, yeah i don't know i guess i guess positivity and like your attitude must be kind of transcendent. it must like make its way through it through an inbox but
0: uh... <laughs> well that's good to hear yeah. i mean honestly from my end you know i i am so stoked to have the animal and and just like I, I feel eternally grateful for that but for me the biggest thing was just becoming part of the rodeo team like I as I've gotten more into the bike packing bike packing racing side of things you know I've just started being a little bit more uh savvy with the you know the internet the forums and I just came across rodeo labs and you know saw what you guys were doing and was just like wow like that that's something that I want to be a part of but you know I just everything you guys talk about it it just it resonates with me and I I'm mostly stoked to just be part of the crew. And obviously I'm very stoked on the flannel as well, but yeah, I'm just, I feel lucky to just be here, <laughs> be a part of it all. Yeah.
2: I, the feels, the feels are mutual.
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was
2: funny because I, you know, we, we it took a bit to get you your frame and then it took us even longer to get you your wheels. And I remember up kind of near the end, you were kind of like, guys, um, I really need <laughs> those wheels." That was I'm kind of to do- get close how to do the divide like
0: in a few yeah. weeks or whatever yeah. uh and, you know what, too, and I was <laughs> I was training cuz I you know I, I don't I'm not the kind of dude that just has like a ton of bikes you know I, I had one bike for a while um and it kind of crapped out on me and the only bike that I had um for you know the 6 or 7 months of training until the Flanimal was ready was a fat bike I had like a, a Surly Pugsley that worked So I was just like training on that all day, every day. And one of my coworkers at my bike shop came up to him and was like, hey, like, I think you should start riding like not a fat bike, you know, (laughs) because he started mentioning words like Q factor I'd never heard of. And I was like, oh, man, like, yeah, (laughs) you're probably right. So I I think I sent an email um, and was hey,
2: uh, uh, yeah, no. I'm glad. You, <laughs> I'm glad you nagged. Yeah, I mean, because you know, there's a bunch of people here, and not everybody really. I mean, we're learning to get everybody on the same page, but not everybody really knew what was going on with like those wheels. Really need to get out there. He has the frame. He needs to build his bike, and he's, he needs to ride it for like a long time before he does this big race. Uh, anyway, we got it going, but then uh, it, it's funny. Just like, I'm just going to stop here and let Nick pick that up. But it was funny because then you basically appeared. At, almost at the starting line back on my radar, because you basically would pop onto radar and then disappear, you know, uh, which was totally fine. But I, I wasn't really we weren't talking a lot. And then and then you were just there in Canada. And I was like, Oh, my goodness. That's Daniel. Like we sent him a frame. We, he told me he was doing this. And like, I totally forgot. And now he's there about to do the thing. And I was like, so excited. Immediately. I was like, and that's the butterfly b- bags that Class 4 was just, like, putting up on the Internet that he made. And then it's all connected. And I was like, wow, here, well, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Hey, this is going to be so fun. I got I got Ashley's dot to watch, and I got yours to watch. And, of course, everybody wants to know who's going fastest and slowest and all that. But I was, like, way more into the divide instantly as of that moment. So, anyway. Uh, awesome. Anyway, I couldn't have been more just thrilled that like somehow it had all resulted in daniel was at the starting line on a flanimal
0: and
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so anyway i I feel like that's a recurring theme i think we talked to to sam and he was also rushed to get a bike at the start but i've never done the tour divide and so i'm kind of curious like beyond just frantic gearness like what is it like actually getting to the start and like you know, once you're there, are you just hyping up and, and meeting a bunch of people
0: or like what? Yeah, I'm going. It was really cool. I think that, you know, like I did it. I did it last year, uh, like we mentioned, but this year felt a lot more like official tour divide. Um, so I'm just going to mostly speak on what I experienced this year and, you know, showing up to Banff right away, you know, I got off the airplane and I'm walking to the baggage claim and all I see are cyclists. And it was the coolest thing ever because I haven't done a ton of organized events or any other than the tour divide actually. Um, and just to see like cyclists around me and other bike packers, I was just so, so stoked. And then in BAMF, in the town of BAMF, you know, for the couple days leading up to it all you had to do is hop on your bike and go down the main street for, you know, two minutes until you ran into another person who was doing the tour divide. And then there's that whole conversation of, Oh, what gear are you bringing? Have you heard about the snow and all that stuff? Um, and I just had a blast. Oh my God. For me, it was just the coolest thing ever. Cause like, I don't, where I live in Santa Barbara, you know, there's cyclists, but I don't really see bike packers. It's not like a, and I'm trying to change that, but it's not like a huge thing there. So, when I'm around other bike packers, I'm just like, oh, like, these are my people. Um, yeah. and, and just biking up and down in, in Banff, that's all I really did. I just went up and down, like pretended like I was going somewhere, but I was really just looking to talk to people. Uh, and it was, it was so much fun just meeting all the other riders that were kind of gathering from all over the world, which was really cool. Um, what was and, like
2: what was like the the buzz about like you said like the snow or the weather because i
0: didn't it, it again, was the weather i wasn't it was not paying
2: any attention i didn't know yeah. you know here in colorado it's like dry uh and is it going to be forest fires that's kind of like
0: right.
2: the, the vibe of recent years we're all just kind of depressed but um i didn't right. know that there's like this mega weather event happening just to the north where you know it's dumping or pouring or like So what was going on?
0: Yeah, so I mean, the weather in Banff was fantastic, but definitely the topic of conversation was snow. I mean, it's all uh, everyone—at least everyone that I spoke to—wanted to talk about was, "Oh yeah, have you heard about this pass and this pass?" And I heard on Red Meadows Pass, there's seven miles of snow, and and in my mind, I was just thinking like, "Gosh, you know, I've never I've never had a bicycle in a snow environment, really. I mean, a, a little bit here and there, but I." I didn't really know what to think of all of it other than I will say that I was pretty nervous. Um, cause you know, I trained, but I trained riding my bike in pretty nice weather and just thinking about all this like crazy weather coming up. I, I was just nervous, uh, especially the morning of all, I, the morning of the race. I was, I could hardly even speak. <laughs> I was like, wow. Yeah. My heart was pounding. And I think that had to do with also just, I mean, it, it means so much to me. So for me, it was like, here, you know, it was just, this is the tour divide. It's about to start. It's the thing that has been on my mind for, you know, really years. I mean, it's such a big part of my life and I was just so nervous going into it. Um, there was even like a film crew at the very start of the race. And I love talking to people and, and would always be so happy to, to be a part of that kind of thing. And And these guys came up to me and started asking me questions. I couldn't even speak. I couldn't even respond to them. I was just like, I, I'm sorry, guys. I, I can't, I can't talk right now. It's <laughs> just so nervous. Um, but right I'm when we like, started yeah, I've riding, done a, <laughs> I've done a cycle cross
2: race. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm
0: so mouth. scared. Oh man. But right when we started riding, that's all it took. Like I seriously, you know, one minute into just being moving on the bike and I was smiling and and in my groove and, and, you know, that nervousness kind of wore off pretty quickly, but yeah, the, the buildup was for me was pretty intense. <laughs> did
2: do, do, do people just, I mean, like, how do you start? Do people just bolt or are you like so self-disciplined and you just know yourself that you're like,
0: no, I'm good. I'm just gonna, here we go. I think, um, I think people bolted. I did not. I started the ride and just kind of a cruiser pace. Um, But pretty immediately. So the way it worked this year is since there were so many people at the start of the race, I think that the final number was something like 180 um, at the start line at the Grand Depart. So we did it in um, segments of 15 riders spaced out every 10 minutes, I want to say. And the segment you were in was based off of what your target finish time was. Right. So if you said you were going to finish or you were going to shoot for a 14 or 15 day finish, you're going to be in that first group of 15. Um, I was in the second group of 15. And within an hour or maybe two hours of riding, I was way back. I mean, people were passing me left and right. there's even like a single track section right at the beginning. And, sing, you know, I, my background in mountain biking. is just really the tour divide. <laughs> so I, I'm not super, you know, it's not really a strong point for me. So on the single track section, I mean, I'm just, people were really ripping through there and I kind of just kept in my head. I was like, man, this is, you know, like a 3000 mile race or almost, you know, 2600 something and pushing hard on day one is not in my game plan. You know, it wasn't it wasn't really what I was looking to do. I was definitely going for more of like a slow build up Um, and I just didn't want to get hurt. You know, there's so much excitement on that first day. And with all the single track and challenging terrain in Canada, I was just more focused on getting through it in one piece and and getting to getting to the U.S. It seems
2: like I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you did build. uh, Yeah, because for a while I had to kind of hunt for your little you know, DC on track leaders. It's like, where's he at? Where's he at? And I'd find you and, you know, you're somewhere in this snake shape of dots moving across the map. But as things moved on, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, you were moving a lot closer towards, you know, the leading edge of that big mob of dots. Uh, So did you, do you think you built?
0: Absolutely. I mean, from the get-go, my goal with this whole thing was, had pretty much nothing to do with, Uh, my position in the race, I really was more focused on my average miles per day. And really what I wanted to see was improvement from last year. Um, So as the race started, and day by day, I was hitting the miles that I wanted to hit. And I was content. You know, I was like, all right, this is kind of crazy to me that I'm pushing it hard and hitting these big miles. And in the as far as the rankings go, you know, I'm pretty like middle of the pack. And I was just mostly impressed. I was like, wow, like people are out here and they're strong riders and that's great, you know, but I'm just going to stick to my guns and, and keep riding my race. And I, I don't like letting other people influence my race. Um, cause I think that's when you can maybe start to make some decisions that aren't the best for you. You know, if you just really want to get ahead of somebody and you might make a decision that, that, doesn't work out well for you in the long run. So I was really just focused on myself. But then as it went on, I think really just being consistent uh, and just staying on the route. I mean, I think half the battle with the Tour Divide is not scratching. You know, I mean, that's kind of like a huge, and there's a lot of things that come into play there and they're not always in your control. Um, But I think by just sticking with the race, sticking with my game plan, meeting my miles every day, I was able to kind of, yeah, make my way a little bit closer to the to the front which was definitely exciting you know i was yeah. definitely stoked when i saw that i was like oh man like wow you know now i'm actually kind of up there and and that was that was cool
2: there were some so you occasionally would pop into self cell reception and uh throw some blurbs up uh on your instagram stories mostly uh and and i was following along and uh and they were very poignant uh, little dispatches that I started looking forward to. And I was like, man, like, why? Won't, what's he doing? Why won't he post more? Uh, <laughs> but like, so I didn't know the weather was going to be that bad. And then apparently this big, I don't know, was it just one big storm or many? But a an event happened on at least one pass where some people got stuck behind it. Some people made it through. Maybe some people trudged yeah. through it. Where were you in that scrum?
0: Right. So I think what you're probably referencing is Richmond Pass, which is it's a pretty serious pass uh, in northern Montana. Right when I crossed the border into the United States, I got a text from Matthew Lee, who's like the Tour Divide is pretty unorganized. But I think if you were to say, you know, name some of the people that are involved with, you know, determining the route and this and that matt lee is kind of like a big character so i got a text from him and he pretty much was saying like hey great job making it to the u.s uh big storm coming in get as far as you can asap <laughs> I was like wow. oh no <laughs> like because oh. it, 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 it had already been you know all of canada was crazy you know a lot of rain tons of snow wa- like river crossings things i had never done with a bike for sure like not even close um and then to get that text i was like Oh man, like he, you know, this must be serious. So I go started, <laughs> yeah, I was like, go harder. Geez, Like I, I, you know, I was already pretty, um, giving it my all really. And then, so he said that. And then as I got closer to Richmond pass, you know, just locals on the, on the route were kind of warning me saying like, Oh, Hey, just so you know, tomorrow afternoon, anything over, you know, 7,000 feet is going to get dumped with two feet of snow. It's <laughs> just Dude, like, wow terrified so you know I put in a pretty big day and then actually I had a pretty crazy night um it, it was raining pretty hard I, I tried setting up my bivy, but I just got soaked through my bivy, and and that could be something I'd talk you know we talked about later my gear choices could have been better um but I was sleeping pretty wet and I got maybe an hour and a half two hours of you know somewhat of a sleep um until I just got up and was shivering and started riding. And I think that actually worked to my advantage because that early start that day put me on Richmond Pass while it was starting to snow and it was definitely coming down, but it hadn't piled yet. So I think that I beat this storm that you're mentioning by maybe a couple of hours. And, And I think that the crew behind me by a couple hours were really dealing with some you know some fresh multiple feet of snow um that i that i didn't deal with so i i could have gotten a bit lucky there
2: and we know i mean ashley got up there and and she had to turn around because she was turning blue uh and she said yeah two or three feet of snow Uh, and then you know i read on bikepacking that at least i don't know what the final tally was but at least 10 people had to be rescued from the course Um,
0: yeah
2: uh, so like it just seems like if you squeaked through Good job. Good for you. Um, and if you didn't, everything got three times or five times as hard, whatever, at least through that section. And I re- I yeah. remember your dispatch was like, I'm riding at night. I think it might be a blizzard. I can't it maybe it's just normal snow, but it seems like a blizzard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. tired. And then you were like
2: someone just came out and found me and like oh yeah. showed me a tiny house like a little tiny house thing and I don't know oh, I was man. like wow that would be so overwhelmingly emotional oh. for me just to be in a blizzard at night by myself somewhere in the wilderness and then some stranger is just like here get warm
0: absolutely yeah. that was that was such a special moment of the trip that, that was the first moment of the trip that really like brought me to tears I, I'm a pretty emotional guy as is and When I'm on the Tour Divide, I'm just like, I'm an emotional wreck. (laughs) And um, that evening, yeah, like I said, like you just mentioned, to me, it was blizzarding. But I'm also from Southern California. And I think that maybe you all, you know, Coloradans and and people from snowy places would maybe say different. But for me, I mean, it was chaotic wind, tons of snow. I couldn't see anything because my light would just illuminate the white wall. And I was yeah, it, it, was, it was that's a tough. blizzard. I think yeah. we're, gonna give, to blizzard, yeah. right? we're gonna give it to him. Blizzard, right?
2: That's we're gonna give it to you. But yeah, Colorado grade blizzard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> cool. If we are right. the judges, <laughs> we were there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, that's reassuring. Um, but yeah, that's that so scary. Is that scary? Oh, heck Are yeah. you like, whoa? Do oh, I have the gear?
1: Am I gonna be okay? Like, yeah, that's <laughs> oh I God. think like a like a wet bivvy. I'm like, that's when I'm like, I don't think I'm never gonna be warm again. This is it. It's yeah. over. Oh,
0: man, the wet bivy was something I just I had I had no choice but to become so used to it. That that sucked. But, you know, I I made there's things I will do differently next year for sure with my gear. Um, but that evening in particular was special. It's a it's an iconic part of the great divide that's known as the llama ranch and it's just this a man and a woman uh, who run this yeah llama ranch and any cyclist that comes through there they offer these gorgeous straight out of a magazine tiny homes that are filled with snickers and m&ms and bottles wow. of wine and and all that stuff and and their big thing is you know we don't accept anything we just want you to pay forward the kindness But for me, and I I knew that existed there, but for me, you know, I was riding by at two o'clock in the morning in those horrible conditions. I did not expect them to be ready for me, you know, at all. And yeah, out of the blue in that during that crazy storm, there was just a strobe light beaming at me um, at a certain point in the night. And I knew what it was. And when I went over there, the guy John just like took me in. And yeah, it, it was it was a really special, special moment of the divide for sure
2: unless night you have to be wet in a bivy
0: yeah yeah seriously oh so appreciated that was that was my first uh yeah my first non-bivy of the trip and I think that was day I want to say that was day seven uh, which normally seven days you know in the bivy that's fine for me but it, it was seven rough wet cold days so being in a cabin with a little uh, I, I lit a fire in there there was like a little wood stove thing and I I just Yeah, it was it was it hard to leave? Is it like (laughs) um it was a bit I definitely slept in. Um and there's kind of a funny thing that I learned on this trip where the more you sleep in, the more your body thinks that it's time to start recovering, which Mm. led to pain. Like sometimes the the longer, better sleep I had, the more my body would almost hurt in the morning because it was like just starting to recover rather than you know if you get two three hours of sleep you almost are just still riding (laughs) like your body doesn't go into that recovery mode so that morning that that morning that morning in particular was definitely tough uh to, to start riding but but it's also and then this is just classic divide like it's also such a beautiful section and i was excited to get out there and and you know start seeing everything and 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 start riding my bike but Yeah, I mean, it it was it was challenging.
1: So so while we're talking about memorable places to sleep, is it is it worth jumping to the to the pit toilet?
0: Absolutely. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, because because
2: I am personally scarred by just the images of your sleeping arrangement that night. It, It traumatized me. Uh, this is a I really. I hold one. my breath when I go in those things, and yeah. then I just I'm like, maybe I can finish my business before I pass out. <laughs> but you you been it down in.
0: All right, you tell us. <laughs> this is a super funny one because when I first posted that my first video of sleeping in the pit toilet, like my perspective of it was genuinely it was like, wow, look how wonderful this was. Like I found a pit toilet, guys. Like I slept inside. Like this was amazing. And I got all these responses and reactions from friends and family being like, "Hey man, are you okay? Like, what? like why? why yeah, are like you normal you people?" Don't? One buddy was like, "Man, in that video you showed your breakfast burrito like on the pit toilet. Like, that's." <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was. I was like, not even thinking about that stuff. In my mind, it was almost the equivalent of a hotel. I was like. Wow, how perfect is this? And honestly, and I think most people on at least on this year's divide would would share the same that conditions were just so challenging. They're so it was so cold that finding any sort of shelter from the elements was just incredible and pit toilets, they're just like little houses. And you know, they smell bad, but you also smell pretty bad. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And that one had an air it freshener,
2: and I remember that from your video. I, yep, uh,
0: I, that one had an air freshener. That that night with the air freshener, I actually shared that pit toilet with Andrew Stremke, which who was an amazing person. I got to get to know during this trip. Um, and that one was funny because that pit toilet was not made for two. That was a one-person pit toilet, uh, you know, at, at the most. And we both—it was just so cold. I mean, there's no way one person's going to sleep inside and one person's going to be cold. You know, it's kind of like. Yeah, we're racing, but we're also in this together. So let's both get the warmth. And um, we were <laughs> literally like, this is a guy that I don't know. You know, like I was just getting to know him. And we were, you know, leg, full body against full body, you know, feet touching feet in the pit toilet, you know, for for the evening. And it was just a funny, funny, it's funny moment.
1: How,
2: it's funny how, like as you just introduce more and more rawness into situations, all of these bars and thresholds that we all have for personal comfort or convenience or entitlements or all these, they just go out the window. You know, it's like, because I can't relate to that moment, but in a way, of course, it totally makes sense. Like when nothing else matters, but not being cold and wet, and you should do yes. whatever you have to do. And it's totally fine. It's kind of liberating.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it just gets, everything gets stripped down to the basics out there. It's like luxuries don't, you know, it's just like shelter, food, ride your bike. That's it. Like it's so, it, everything becomes really simple. It probably
1: has to be said that riding through Canada and and Montana, there's, you know, potential encounters with moose or bears um which is on my mind you know I, I feel like we don't really have that as much in colorado so um yeah like it's a- apprehension do you just or do you just
2: have like this opt- you're just like i'm gonna be optimistic about it everything's fine everything's gonna be fine <laughs> uh, apparently at bear spray we know this because
0: yeah I we don't have bears and moose in Santa Barbara. <laughs> so I was <laughs> I was I was totally nervous and in my previous two runs down the divide I never saw a bear, not one, which is crazy. Um most people do. So anyways, going into this one and oh, another thing we kept hearing um at the start of the race and from locals along the route was that due to all of the snow on the passes, all of the grizzly bears are hanging out at lower elevation. That's good. Mm-hmm. So so that was another one on my mind where I was like, oh, geez, like God, grizzlies. Oh, man. And um, actually on day two, just south of Fernie, I encountered my first grizzly bear. And it was actually pretty dang close to me. Um, funny enough, i just i didn't feel threatened at all the way it all went down i was just riding grizzly bears like totally on the trail just ahead and um i just touched my brakes but everything was so wet that my brakes squeaked right when i touched it and you know it kind of startled the grizzly and uh she or she, he or she i don't know how to identify um just like ran across the trail and it was it was big and uh, you know, all its flaps of skin were like going crazy as it was running. And I was just in awe um, and super excited. I, you know, all the fear I had of grizzlies in that moment went out the window and I, I just felt really lucky. Um, sure. And it was five to 10 minutes later, uh, I was on a narrower part of the trail and I turned the corner and I was just right behind a moose. And for those who haven't seen a moose before they are comically large creatures like they are they're like giraffes they're so big i think um, they're their own
2: species like they're their own they're they they do not fall into any like i don't even think they're scientifically deer like someone was just telling me that moose have their own,
0: own story of,
2: of being because they're just so weird
0: they're <laughs> crazy and the way they move i mean anything that that's anything that's so large and tall and lanky they just move funny um and I was just riding along with this moose like it was going down the trail um probably startled by me but you know I was just kind of cruising behind it and I got to look at it up close for a while and that was amazing and then later that day I was descending um some some rocky descent and the way I had my bear spray and this is a total learning lesson for anyone that's gonna ride with bear spray is put it in a location where it's not touching anything pointy Uh, because I was riding I was riding down this rocky descent and all of a sudden I just started getting sprayed in the face my bear spray was against my shifter and with just enough vibrations all of a sudden it, it punctured a hole in there and I just started getting blasted um, with bear spray, which is essentially like mace, I'm pretty sure, uh, and it got all over my face, all over my legs. Um, thankfully, I was wearing—I always wear lenses, like even when it's cloudy, I'm wearing my clear lenses—and that's that's what I was doing that day. So my eyes were safe, which I think was really important. Um, it did get all over my mouth and my lips, and I felt that bear spray on my skin. For probably four days, and even like day three after the bear spray, sometimes it would just burn like like someone was holding a fire to my skin, like so 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 hot. Um, you stay away. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it, it was kind of it was it was a funny reminder. And then the probably the funniest part of that is you know bear spray got all over my bike and um all over my feed bag where I would keep snacks and stuff like that so even like a week later halfway into the divide you know I would have a Snickers bar and I would grab the Snickers bar while I'm riding and I'm like opening the packaging with my teeth and then all of a sudden my lips would be on fire because the Snickers bar was you know in the location that touched the bear spray and I I, and it would usually just make me laugh like it was definitely uncomfortable but I would just be like oh my god like this is so classic you know just bear spray bear spray on the, on the lips again
2: um you know I, the ride wasn't really hard enough
0: yeah so <laughs> yeah. i think just to
2: the adversity macing yourself uh, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: is is a good way to really make it uh, legit well That's and funny. i don't i don't know if it was you but uh it sparked a, a debate on bikepacking.com of like where to carry mace because it, it might have been you or it might have been someone else that had mace go off but like there was a whole comment section of like or you
0: carry. Mason. I bet everyone
1: in the comment section was an expert. Yeah, too. no, it was like it was like the real world like had to weigh in on the
0: opinion. <laughs> it's a big deal. I think it could be a safety hazard. I I don't think it was me that sparked the conversation. I did hear of another rider out there. I don't know his or her name, uh, who had a similar situation, and I think that it, the bear spray did get into their eyes. Oh. um And I don't think it ended well at all. it, it might have ended in some broken bones and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, it it is quite a serious thing. Like, luckily for me, it it kind of became this somewhat of a annoying thing, somewhat of a joke. But it it could have been a lot worse. So yeah, I think being strategic with uh, bear spray placement is is important. It feels like the
1: the divide, the opening bit was just so much adversity. Like, do you feel like after that, like, just you know, the bear spray, the snow escaping through the pass, you know, the rain, like did it just kind of mellow out and it was just all of a sudden it was like, okay, like I'm going through it. Just like it started so hard that it was just okay. Or like.
0: In a way. Yeah. In a way it did. I mean, it, it didn't mellow out in terms of conditions. Like I would say that it was pretty consistently, um, you know, as challenging as, as could be, at least in my opinion, uh, through most of the race, but with such a challenging day one through four, let's say, it just kind of got you in the mood. Like then, you know, on day 10, when things were super gnarly, I was like, man, I would tell myself like, oh, I already made it through, you know, cocoa claims um, with bear spray and on my skin and snow and rain coming down. And, you know, I got through that, I can get through this. That was definitely something that that was running through my mind. So I do think that the the challenge, if you made it through that challenging beginning, it just, there wasn't a whole lot that could stop you from from then on forward because you've just already been through it and you've already made it through so it's like you just you can do it again that was yeah that was the mentality i kind of had for sure after that was it just i don't know
2: relentless wind in in the bit in the basin uh or no i feel like there's just this big flat thing where everyone who i was watching just posted these infinite roads uh to nowhere was it you that was yeah. Oh, yeah, the ba- yeah. What is that? I'd
0: never really was even aware of the basin before this year. The basin is this incredible section of the divide that people love to talk about because it's like some people. I, I fall into that category. People really dislike it. Like I think I remember seeing a, an update from Sophie on um, who's the the guy that ended up winning the race this year, and and he was kind of talking about you know how he doesn't love the basin, um, and it's like you know his a part of the divide he doesn't like or whatever. I think it's one of the greatest parts of the divide because it's just no matter what, it's such an adventure in there because it's this vast open land. You know, there's hundreds of miles of just pretty much nothingness um, and very little resupply in in there uh, as far as food and water goes. And it's all about weather. You know, you can get tailwind. If you get tailwind in the basin, you'll go through the entire stretch in one day. Um, and if you get brutal headwind, you know, it's a whole nother story. And if you get rain in there, then everything becomes muddy and you get peanut butter mud and you know there's just so much that can happen in there, and you just don't have a choice but to just to get in there and and see kind of what happens to you. And my experience, my last two experiences in the basin, I had tailwind and it was sunny and wonderful. this year, I had a forecast of super strong headwind uh, and thunderstorms and I was totally scared going into it and the forecast was absolutely correct. I (laughs) I had headwinds, um, they weren't as bad as I thought I will say that the headwinds that I got were occasionally kind of a crosswind um, but it definitely wasn't favorable but about halfway through the basin I was in the middle of a hailstorm and there was hail coming down. That was like the size of gumballs, you know, just totally pelting me. And and I just had this moment. At first I was like, just trying to, I don't know, ride through and, and get as far as I can before everything became mud. But then I had a moment where I just hit the brakes and looked around, kind of realized where I was and just started smiling so big. And I was just like, what this is just crazy like how how have i made decisions in my life to end up right here in this moment in the great basin of wyoming in a hailstorm, on a race no one within you know any uh anywhere near me right and i just felt alone in the middle of the world was what i was experiencing and it was just amazing like i i i totally the my my mental game just totally shifted from being scared to being like wow this is special um and it was a was that, cool i mean it seems like that was
2: a choice uh was it a choice I mean, sure. or, uh because you i know what i would have done okay. but i know what i would have done i would have been like why did i cho- i'm sorry this sounds so lame but i would have been like why did i choose to do this this is so hard i'm not even very far considering how much That's is left and this has just been hard, hard, hard. And now I'm getting hit by rocks from the sky. Uh, so, like, I, I, I'm trying to grow as a person to not, to not choose to have these, these uh, moments. But, like, you, you didn't. Uh, and do you feel like you just gravitate towards positivity? Or in that moment, you seize, seize the decision and just make a choice in your head that, no, it's all right. This is a beautiful moment what I came for.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that in my somewhat brief background in, well, maybe it's not brief. I know I've been bicycle traveling now for maybe six years and really a recurring lesson that I've gotten is just like, you you have to be positive. I mean, you're getting into something that inevitably is going to have challenging moments. And the only way to move forward is to see the bright side of things. And I think at this point, that's kind of just ingrained in my mind. Um, that's not to say that, I, you know, I definitely have moments where I'm feeling super challenged and frustrated and, you know, annoyed by conditions and all that stuff. But it's just a matter of time until you have you, you kind of have to make that decision. I think it is a decision to just see the bright side of it and and just start moving forward, because if you're not moving forward, it's just going to last longer. You know, it's just going to take longer. You're going to be stuck out there for longer. Um, So I think really the key is like do whatever it takes just to keep moving forward, whether it's like you're moving at half a mile per hour or 20 miles per hour, whatever it is. You just, you have to move forward. It's like not really an option, especially when the weather gets bad. You just, you have to move forward. Yeah. That's a big life lesson.
2: Yeah. So you did. Uh, Yeah. I, I feel like I personally, didn't really glean much from anyone once they finally got to, like, you know, Colorado. It was just, everything was fine. Uh, everything's fine. Happy to be here. <laughs> really excited to get to New Mexico was kind of like what everybody <laughs> said about <laughs> passing through Colorado. So I think yeah. in this race, an unremarkable state is a good state. Uh, I yeah. think you had, like, a mechanical issue where you pre pretty freaked out about your derailleur hanger, maybe.
0: Or That's at least true. potentially,
2: I, potentially freaked okay. out.
0: No, I totally, I made a total bozo mistake. I, I get really excited about some random things on the trail. And one of them is water sources. Like I love, and I think part of this comes from me. I grew up in a city, like I grew up in Los Angeles. So, you know, water sources for me were like water fountains at a park. And when I'm out in beautiful places and there's like gorgeous water sources, that's a huge highlight for me. Um, and there is a water source that's on, oh man, on your way up to Lava Mountain, Lava Pass, and it's it's just a, a pretty pretty iconic section. Um, and there's yeah, it's just a water source that I get super excited about every year. And when I got to it this year, I was so stoked to drink the water. I set my bike down, which I do. I care a lot for my bike. Normally, I would say, I set my bike down in a location and started drinking the water, and a gust of wind just knocked my bike over and totally bent my derailleur hanger, like pretty badly. Um,
2: that is not th- a flimsy derailleur hanger. Yeah, not no. Most people I don't, don't ever bend it. People bend donkey derailleur hangers kind of on purpose. It's pretty buttery. Um, but on Flannable, it's kind of like more yeah. likely to break your derailleur, maybe. I don't know. I
0: know. Uh, that thing's heavy duty. You did and it. I, you did it. <laughs> I totally did it. And it wasn't like a super epic crash or anything like that. It was literally me being careless and so enthralled by this water that I just, you know, put my bike in a not a great place. And it bent pretty badly. Thankfully, I had a spare on me. So I was able to switch it up. No problem. Um and oh the funny thing was you know getting a, another derailleur hanger sent to uh Steamboat Springs and yes, I, you
2: put in an order for a derailleur hanger from Rodeo Labs right. and had it had it shipped to Steamboat Exactly. Uh, that's pretty funny. I was like wait a exactly. minute this is Daniel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <Yep>, exactly. <laughs> I get I was and, like yeah I mean I guess that that checks
2: out like if you need a derailleur hanger you just order one. Anyway, yeah, that's funny.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And just getting it shipped, you know, general pickup at the post office in Steamboat. And I showed up there and sure enough, it was Juneteenth and post office was closed. So then I was just pretty frightened the rest of the trip. I was super, super, super careful. Um, Never set my bike down anywhere remotely sketchy Uh, and, and took conservative lines as well. I mean, I was just like, can't mess with that can't mess with the derailleur hanger anymore um so yeah that was that was probably my only like real mechanical of the entire trip um and it was something silly you know it's just setting the bike down wrong other than that everything was if i recall everything was pretty smooth sailing um on that front which was awesome let's do some yeah. a little bit of gear nerding yeah, like, some, some, some gear nerding uh yeah. tires What would you run so in Pretty classic flanimal style. I ran on the front. I ran Victoria Mescal 2.1. 29er. On, 29er. Yep. Uh, on the rear, I ran Maxis Icon 2.0. And really, my decision making there, I had, I had trained with the same, you know, uh, Mescal 2.1. 29er in the rear but right before the race once i start started to hear a bit more about the weather mud became more on my mind and i was like man i think that you know even that tiny bit of clearance uh, might make a difference for me and so i went with the the icon 2.0s and i i'm super happy with that decision i think it was a really good idea um i already i was already cutting it pretty close um you know as it was with the mud and I I definitely got stopped in my tracks a few times Um, but there were sections where I think I just barely was able to make it through and I credit that to having a little bit more clearance on the rear so I was happy with that choice. Jay had the
2: 2.1 front rear last year when he was asking me if he should do it I was like yeah do it on the front but like you got nothing left on the back. I mean, yeah, it's a good dry. It's super fun, dry conditions. You know, if you're going to go race in Morocco, yeah, put the one time.
0: Yeah, but isn't
2: there always mud on the Divide? Like it's just inevitable that you're going to just get you know some clay and right. He did it and he made it all right because last year was friend. Last year was friendlier, but um, he, he did say like he was pushing it. So I, I didn't have noticed that about your bike. I I saw the mezcal and I was like, oh, he ran mezcal's but super smart to just size it down. Everyone's so interested in maxing out their frame. Um, We get that a lot uh, and it's fun, but then like, no, unless you ride somewhere super dry, you shouldn't really be doing that. Just because the tire spins at the starting line doesn't mean it's gonna keep spinning. And I mean, at least your bike's metal. Uh, so that helps. But especially on a carbon bike, you end up just chewing through your frame.
1: Uh, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: I think everyone has. of donkeys, we get back here where people have just overloaded their frame and chewed through it. Is, They're almost all have some evidence of that. So anyway, wow. that's Sage. Yeah. Leave some room for your wheels to spin. Um, It's not like you were on a cutthroat or a mountain bike where they would have maybe even a little bit more clearance and a little bit more primed for 700 by 2.1. So you're pushing the flannel pretty much as far as it can be pushed in terms of bike packing, which I love, um, but it's full disclosure. Like that's right at the limit of of what the bike is good at.
0: Um, Right. Right.
2: That's all right. That's just what the platform is. Yeah. You had aero bars. Uh, Did that help? Did you have any issues with your hands?
0: I, I currently can't really Uh feel my pinky or ring finger on my left hand. Um, but that, that's something I'm pretty prone to that. That's happened to me in the past. Um, I would not do the tour divide without arrow bars. Anyone who does the tour divide without arrow bars. I am just really like, uh, surprised. I'm I'm just (laughs) genuinely surprised. Um, I find it so necessary Um, I mean the tour divide, you know, it's a mountain biking route, but there's plenty of stretches of consistent pavement, you know, and, and having those arrow bars to cut through wind and just to rest your body and just to have another position. I mean, it's, I would never, I will never change that, um, on a setup for the divide for sure. Um, I did run a flat bar as well for the flannel Yeah. which I actually, it was inspired by Scotty's setup. I think, I forget what race I saw her do somewhere in stage California. Coach. Yeah. Stage yeah, coach. Stage coach. yeah. I saw her setup, up and immediately when I saw it, I screenshotted it, zoomed in, screenshot it uh-huh. again. I was like, yeah. I was like that, that looks good. Like that looks comfortable. That looks like it can handle technical stuff. Um, I really liked her cockpit. I liked her, her handlebar setup and her um, Ergon grips that she had on there. Um, Everything about it, I, I totally mimicked it. I was like, okay, cool, like that's that's what I'm going for. Um, so I did I, I did a flat bar. I had the Ergon grips that had you know a couple inches of a bar end as well. Um, again, I, I wouldn't change that. Like that was it was so nice to have that. Um, last year and the year prior, I did the divide on a drop bar, and I much preferred having a flat bar. And, and I think that probably just comes down to my my style. I'm sure a lot of others would would disagree, but for me, it's like when I'm just trying to get miles and it's not technical, I'm in my arrow bars. There's no question about it. Um, and then when I'm on technical stuff, I feel a lot more comfortable on a flat bar than in my drops. So th- yeah, that setup worked out really well for me. Uh, one big highlight of that setup that I I feel pretty fortunate to have had the opportunity to run is I had I was running a a sram axis system and i had the axis wireless blips on my aero bars and that was way too cool just uh being able to be in my aero bars and like push a little button i felt like i was a robot you know and um that was that was huge for me i i really loved having that yeah
2: and you had a tail fin on there not a seat pack uh how'd it go Fantastic,
0: I. It's gonna be hard slash maybe impossible for me to ever do a bike packing trip without that thing. Um, you know, in the past, I've always used uh, saddle bags. You know, like the really big saddlebags bags, um, and they're fine, but you do feel that sway. At least I do. Like when I'm doing technical stuff, um, that sway can be annoying, and and I just can never seem to pack those things in a way where it doesn't eventually sag down and like rub against my rear wheel (laughs) yeah just i I just looks so good at the start (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, exactly it always starts off fine and then a couple days later i'm like pulling the straps super tight so it doesn't sag and with the tail fin it was just such a dream i mean i set it up and never had to change anything um one of my surprise favorite features about that tail fin is the two straps on the top works super well for drying clothing while you're riding because it was such a wet year um i was always trying to dry socks or you know everything i was just trying to dry so i pretty much constantly if it wasn't raining i had you know as much as much wet clothing as i could fit um strapped on the back there on the tail fin and and that worked out really well for me some some gear highlights or some gear low lights oh my sleep kit my sleep kit was not, it just wasn't right for poor weather. I mean, it, it's the exact same sleep kit I used last year. Um, and last year it was fine because last year it was completely dry. And this year I used um, it's an outdoor research helium bibby, which is a good bibby. Um, and I had a catabatic quilt. Catabatic's a company based out of Salida, super cool company. They make really great gear mostly um I think it's mostly geared towards like ultra lightweight backpackers, but anyways works great for bikepacking too. And I had a 15 degree, 15 degree rated quilt, um, which is probably a bit warmer than it needs to be. But the issue for me was having a down quilt in that bivy, because that bivy is good in moderate weather, but in severe precipitation, um, water definitely comes through the bivy. And you know, right when yeah. that's the thing, I, the combination, it was the combination that just didn't work mm-hmm. having the down quilt and the bivvy that let some water in after a while, once my quilt was wet, you know, it, it just, it makes you colder really. Um, and all the warmth that it would give Jeez. me just went away. So that was a super poor decision um, that I <laughs> I dealt with. I suffered. So while, for sure. while
2: you were shivering in your cold bivvy with wet down, Oh, yeah. You chose to be grateful for that moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it took a couple minutes to come to that <laughs> conclusion. <laughs> but uh, no, certainly I think that the the combination, um, and I, I would be curious what other people ran this year, but I didn't really talk to anyone about it. But I think you either use a synthetic sleeping bag or, or quilt with a bivy. Or you can run a down sleeping bag or quilt with maybe like a like a single person tent that's gonna actually keep you dry in, in poor weather. Because I think that those tents are getting so lightweight and compact these days anyways, that it's probably not that different than carrying a bivvy. Um, and if that's gonna keep you dry, I don't see anything wrong with down. But the combination of a bivy and a down uh, sleeping bag that that just did not work for me with with all that weather, um, and yeah, uh, that's I, I will never do that again.
2: <laughs> you never dry out all the way. You should get it dry, like during the race. Did you? I don't know.
0: One strap time,
2: your, strap your sleeping bag to the tail fin and go ride. <laughs>
0: that's the thing. It's 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 so bulky and big. It's not. I, I never strapped that's... it while riding. um Dragon. I got yeah. I got to Ovando, Montana, which is an amazing stop on the Divide. I probably sound like a broken record. I I think all the towns are are wonderful, but Ovando is special. Um, And it happened to be howling wind and not raining at that moment. Uh, So during my resupply there, I did take out my sleeping bag or quilt, uh, and it actually did dry out. Um, All the feathers were still in clumps and stuff like that, but it at least wasn't soaking wet. So that was nice, but it was only a matter of, you know, the next Cold rainy night that it it kind of got wet again. and and it it just to be honest, it stayed somewhat wet the entire trip. Um, it's probably still wet right now, actually. i I need to take care of that. but uh, <laughs> I've been it's too molding. tired. <laughs> I've been too tired to do anything. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that was that that was a learning experience for sure.
2: So is it all the way into New Mexico, that weather just kept chasing you uh and like yeah. even was it even the last morning or the last night i don't know you posted oh. you were somewhere that did a lightning hit the tree next to you like oh yeah like,
0: this guy can't catch your break that's that's how i felt man i told i was like it, so this was my second to last night i was in the gila wilderness section of the trip. And again, you know, like I say about everything, it's, it's such a gorgeous section. Um, but we caught it rough this year. And I think everyone who went through it this year had a, had a pretty tough experience. And I was, you know, the way that I operate when I'm riding, it's like, I, I push my legs. I'm kind of going through the motions. And until I mentally figure out a way to like get into my zone. And once I'm in my zone, i kind of hit a flow state and i start riding hard and i I can sometimes keep that up for a while and so many times during this trip i would be in that zone and then you know just a wall of weather would come in and um and it would shut me down and that's something that i'm going to try and work on in the future is to not let weather you know kill the zone but anyways on that second to last night of the trip in the gila it was 10 p.m i remember just feeling so good i was just riding hard at a good pace having fun which is a a huge huge thing and and i was just cruising and then all of a sudden you know of course there's a little drizzle and i'm like ah no it'll pass and then it turned into just this monsoon rain and with so much lightning and thunder and and i always do the trick where i you know you see the lightning and then you count the seconds until you hear the thunder and that's supposed to be, you know, how many miles away it is. And that gap was just getting closer and closer until it was like lightning and thunder at the exact same time. And I would feel the ground shake. And you could just tell. I mean, I was like right, right there in the sweet spot. Super um, scary. That's super scary. Oh, man. I, I, you know, I was totally scared. Yeah. And uh, I actually at that moment, I think it was around 11 p.m., I was super, that's when I felt, you know, serious frustration. Cause I was like, I have it within me to keep riding um, 200 miles from the border. Like I, all I want to do is ride and like, you know, finish this thing off. And I, I felt a little bit shut down that night. Um, so I, I took shelter, slept for a couple hours and then kept riding the next day. Um, and then what would have been my final night or what was my final night of the trip the following day? I was actually feeling super motivated to ride through the night. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how off of just, you know, little sleep and, and this and that. But for whatever reason, I felt, oh, it probably had to do with like a bunch of, you know, coffee and stuff like that. But I, I felt energized in the evening. Um, and I had this game plan of, all right, I'm going to ride through the night uh, through Silver City and get to the border in the morning. And I was all loaded up, ready to go riding uh, on the highway out of Silver City. And then like, just, you know, yet again, crazy, crazy monsoon rainstorm, uh, just came right at me like a wall and same thing. It it just thunder, lightning, super close by. I, I couldn't even move with my bike. I couldn't even walk. So I put my bike down and I, (laughs) I assumed what I read to be lightning position where I just kind of got into a little ball in a bush on the side of the road. And then again, I was questioning everything. I was like, Oh my God, like here I am again, just like in a ball, getting rained on. I'm cold. Uh, you know, the border is so close. Um, but uh, yeah, I I took shelter. I decided it was unsafe to, to keep riding. And I I took shelter again, uh, slept a couple hours, um, and then had a, a pretty much a beautiful sunny day, actually the, the final, the final day, um, getting out to the border until the very end, until the last five miles of the trip. And I saw rain clouds up ahead and i actually for the first time of the whole trip i was begging for rain i was just like oh was it hot it was toasty um but i'm cool with that i i'm you know i ride in hot conditions here in california all the time but it, it was more so just like it was meaningful i was like this day has weirdly been all sunny and that is not that's not what this trip has been about this trip has been wet and rainy and i want to finish this trip soaking wet because that's what that's just what it's been this whole time. <laughs> so like I was like beckoning to the skies and um, sure enough with five miles to go, big old rain cloud came above me and I just got soaked and, and I was just loving it. Honestly, I was like, like laughing and, and just having a good time with the, with the wetness. <laughs> like a perfect ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was such, and I, and I had a bunch of nosebleeds that day. So like, The water came, just, it was like cleansing and and it just felt, it felt right. felt like the right way to end it.
2: When I was uh, in Arkansas at this rule of three race, we were just fine rain falling all day and mud and mist all over my body. And I was just coated. And then this huge monsoon hit and I rode into it. And I remember, I, I looked down and I was like, look at that, my skin. I can see my skin. I forgot what my skin was. It was like such an awesome moment. And all my gear was clean. And like my gloves didn't have mud on them. And I could feel my grip tape. And it wasn't gritty. And I was like, this is such an awesome moment. I've never yeah. felt like this. And then like, it stopped raining. And uh, three minutes later, it was just all grit again. But <laughs> so I can, I can a tiny, tiny bit relate to like that feeling of wanting to get hit by a wall of water.
0: Yeah. Um, and
2: it'd be yeah, beautiful. it's nice when
0: it comes in and just cleans everything up, you know. That's funny. So are you
2: you finish? Are you where are you? Uh, are you home? You... I
0: am at my family's house. Um, okay. I in Los Angeles, um, making my way back to Santa Barbara uh, probably in a couple of hours here, and I've actually, I'm actually pretty excited. So I, I I love ocean activities as well. Not as much as biking, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't need to pick. I love the ocean and I love biking. And uh, in two or three days' time, I'm going out to the Channel Islands with a couple buddies and we're going to uh, circumnavigate the islands in our kayaks for six, six or seven days. So I'm I'm pretty excited oh, about that. How
2: like I just remember, I don't know, when I finished <laughs> the only bike hacking race I've done, my wife was like you were kind of a bummer to be around for like a month you were just so tired all the time
0: Uh, but you're apparently not that tired maybe hungry I don't know how do you feel oh I'm eating I've been eating and sleeping ever since uh ever since the finish and it's been like two and a half maybe three days or something like that now so today is good yesterday and the day before um I was probably more similar to that like harder to be around but I'm feeling normal now and I'm just itching. I'm itching for, uh, well, you know, it's kind of hard and I'm sure you guys can relate. Like when you're on such a, such a big adventure and then all of a sudden it finishes and you're back to regular life and you're like in air conditioning and you're clean. There's like a weird part of me that's like wishing to go back a little bit. Cause now everything is just feeling like super normal and kind of routine. I don't know. And so I'm kind of like itching for an adventure right now, <laughs> which is funny, uh, yeah. and and I'm I'm just excited to get out there. Yeah, yeah. That that come down is
1: definitely a a theme. I feel like everyone we've talked to that's done the divide is yeah the reentry to the world. So it seems like playing it smart, you know, going going kayaking for seven days is yeah. Yeah, I often do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <sure about> <laughs> That's cool. I'm glad you have that outlet. probably good for your mind. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's probably just so much to process I don't know, internally. Uh, there is going back to moments and making sense of it all and enjoying it.
0: So, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely am. And really, one thing I just can't help, and I think I mentioned it earlier, I, I keep like analyzing certain days and, and just certain decisions I made. And I just think about how next year I can do it better, make a better choice, you know? Because um, like I said, I, I'm just, I, I'm so in love with this route, with the with the Tour Divide. And I just can't wait. I already, I just can't wait to get back out there and like train for it and do everything all over again and, and try and you know just get more progression with my time I, I i really want to keep doing that for a while until i get a time that i'm like super stoked on and i am i am stoked and proud of how this year went but next year is going to be good yeah, nice.
2: yeah. well wow. I mean, for, I don't know, it's not on my radar to do. And for many people for whatever reason will never just even be able to choose whether or not they wanna do it. So I don't know, yeah. thank you for taking, taking me along uh, and taking us along both when you were doing it and also now I think that's just super cool. The sharing, uh, I get to daydream about it and I, I never had to be cold
1: yeah, <laughs> <I> just, yeah. <laughs> I could, I could check it on my phone and i was like wow i'm right there yeah now. this is so great I'm seeing it but i'm on a couch and uh, uh yeah
2: it's cool i mean i guess like no i don't love the word sponsoring uh i feel like it's just kind of lost meaning it's a little one-dimensional but um the reason to su- support or sponsor athletes is because it, it like it just just opens up the spectrum of the gamut of things, experiences that people are having, and then like that become a part of the story of what we're doing. It makes it so much better than it could ever be. Um, so we're super grateful here at Rodeo that you, you know, just made our story so much more real and adventurous. Uh, and like, you're so connected to, I mean, it's clear that you love it, which I don't know, even like in a little Instagram bio, it just says do it because you love it. Um, and like you're doing it because you love it and it, it could not be more obvious uh just you love it i think that's probably what drives you through those dark moments is that you're you're not there because you have to be or because someone paid you or whatever you're just out there because you love it and finding people like that it's not it's not as common as i don't know it, it might seem like hey, everybody loves riding a bike well not everybody likes riding 2800 miles through almost nonstop wet conditions with a wet sleeping bag uh, but you did it, um, and, and that 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 makes other people's those stories that smile makes other people's lives richer. So um, demystifies it for other people too, right? Like it's not just a bit a big, just like it's not a big scary void of like two divide. What is it? Uh, yeah. I mean, you help us understand <laughs> what it is, and for some people, maybe they can pick up on on your positivity and
1: think like maybe that's me. So absolutely i don't i don't know if i'll ever do it but there's moments where i'm like okay i can relate to that like i'm sure like this is i would have a similar feeling if i were there you know
0: and and maybe i'll be there one day but i don't know for what it's worth i totally think that the the best way to experience the tour divide is to tour it at first Mm. Um, that's the way that I did it. And I couldn't imagine like seeing that for the first time in a race format because the race is kind of intense. But when you go out there and you're, you, you know, you don't have a certain amount of miles you need to crush every day and all that sort of stuff. And you just kind of get to go through at your own comfortable pace. It's a lot more inviting and like easier, you know, because like you can, if there's a big storm coming in, you can just not ride <laughs> for
1: like yeah.
0: a day or two or three or four days or whatever. Um, and, oh, it, it's just, it's so special out there that, yeah, I, I do think that touring it at first is a really great way to kind of get into that scene, see how you like it, and then, um, you know, maybe decide to, to to try the race from there. But, yeah, touring is awesome. I think at, at my heart, like right now, I'm really into the racing aspect, but at my heart, you know, bike touring is is the greatest. Um, just kind of, yeah. yeah.
2: All right. We usually, we like to keep it in an hour, but like, who who cares about that?
1: Uh, that I think the (laughs) best way to experience the divide for me is listening to people talking about their (laughs) experiences. Going long is the best kind of thing on on
2: one of these things. So uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like like we were able to get a sense of it, tell the story and uh, excited to see what you do next. I know, I don't know. It sounds like you do a lot of things, guiding, kayaking, riding your bike for a very long time yeah Stay i've got tuned. some plans
0: f- i've yeah. got some plans for sure
2: <laughs> do you write, uh and i know people can find you on instagram uh just by looking up your name yeah, we'll right up. but uh yeah do you do you, are you anywhere else yeah you know do you write or photograph or anything that you want to share
0: uh right now that's my main outlet i'm kind of working on starting up uh, a blog but that is not not live yet um so probably right now just on on Instagram would be my my best outlet to stay in touch stay updated all right yeah sounds good cool Well right on. well this cool. was so much fun guys. Thank, Thank you, you. Yeah. yes
2: thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, gutting out our 30 or 40 minutes of technical mayhem as we tried to figure out how to actually record this thing. Nice. Uh, thanks yeah. for I think the it all flow. worked out. I think it did too. Yeah, as as long as the this recording is actually in the cloud when we're done, everything's going to be oh fine. Oh
0: my god! <laughs> wow, well, so, I hope so. <laughs> all right,
2: and we always shout out Q, who who, uh, who who does our little theme theme jingle on the on the podcast. Thank you. And, timeless uh, intro outro. Yeah, and now that we've just decided to like cut complexity out of our lives, I think that we can expect more off more podcast dispatches. So. Uh, they won't be three months apart yeah but this was a good way to get back in the group so thank you for the push
0: awesome thank you guys enjoy your paddle enjoy thank you i will stay safe tailwinds all right all right yeah